should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome to this hump day. <laughs> I can't believe it's already Wednesday. Uh, we're, we're right there in the middle of the week, and uh, we need to get over this hump day. I definitely do. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Jax, our producer, is in studio. What's going on, Jax? Happy hump day to you. Happy hump day. I, I want to take a second and uh, before we begin our show, really, you know, give our our thoughts, our heart, our prayers out to the families um, who were affected by the shooting this morning that was reported out in Virginia. So, uh, Allison Parker, Adam Ward, um, Adam being the cameraman, Allison, the reporter, were shot dead today uh, by a former employee, allegedly, I should say. We don't know all the facts yet um, out in Virginia. And uh, I believe that the the person they were interviewing also was shot, and I'm not sure if she's, uh, what's happening with her and the updates. I mean, we're kind of reading them as they come. But, you know, this rocks our world here and kind of what we do. There's times when we're out there shooting and we, we kind of don't think about, you know, our safety because we're, <laughs> our minds in reporting, we're trying to get the story. It's it's what we do. It's our job. Uh, uh, I'm just heartbroken. She's 24. Ugh. It's so hard, you know, it's like uh, every time something like this happens, we all want to jump and, and say we should be talking about gun control. We should be talking about mental illness. We should be talking about all these things that, yeah, we should. We should be somewhere. We should be doing something um, at the end of the day. I mean, you just can't take away from, from, from the heartbreak that you feel for, for people, even if they're strangers, in, in kind of the, you know, the treatment of others, how other human beings treat others and I and I always like to say you know here in the show it boils down to you know if you if you have three things in your life you you respect yourself you respect people and you have love uh, and also patience uh, you're gonna do okay in life you know and <laughs> anyway that's a whole other discussion um, it, out there maybe a future show uh, for now I really would just like to just take a moment and acknowledge you know what happened this morning and again send our thoughts and our prayers out to everyone who's impacted affected by this tragedy so Jax we have a fun show today it's all going to be uh, focused on art um, which I, I truly love and I think on Wednesday when we focus uh, on uh, on art it kind of makes us feel a little bit better I think one artist a photographer if you remember he said that it was it's easier for us as queer people to exist in art 
uh, because I think it's easier for people to accept the, our differences in the form of art. I, I wonder what your thoughts are. Yeah, I love that quote. That was Jeff. Uh, Jeff Shane, uh, yes. Yes, the yeah. LA photographer. Yes, that's right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I truly believe that. I was watching reruns of Girls because my partner is now <laughs> catching up on it, Girls with Lena Dunham. And, um, and, you know, she's really been able to take women's issues and put them in, uh, you know, I guess art form, writing and film and, and, and that kind of stuff and, and kind of popularize it. I, I know that she doesn't truly believe everything she says in her script writing, um, but I thought about it last night. It's like she's almost made women's issues uh, palatable and, uh, you know, for, for other people besides women to, to get behind the show. I believe it's Women's Equality Day. Today uh, is Women's today. Equality Day. Look at that. So, so how many years ago? I only were knew we... that through Twitter, which is really depressing. <laughs> is that depressing for you, though? At like twenty, what are you? I don't want to say that I knew it through Twitter. <laughs> I just want to know it in my heart. Unfortunately for you, that is how you get the news these days. Um, uh, that's awesome. So, so that being said, Women's Equality Day means what exactly? So th- that's recognition of uh, the day we were able to vote finally. I'm not sure because I think every day should be Women's Equality Day. I'm not sure why. <laughs> um, here, we I'll, only get the one day. I'll, I'll make you feel better. I I have found out that it was uh, referring to yes, the day that women finally got the right to vote, and I only know that because Facebook told me so. Oh. I'm even more disappointed that Facebook told me that. We need to take a history class together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so since we're on the subject of feminism, and, and, uh, I'm just about to uh, introduce our guest here, but. But um, I do want to say that I read an Instagram essay, if you will, speaking of how we're getting information out there through social media. But uh, one of the stars of uh, Girl Meets Boy, and I, have, I got that show right, uh, the, the new version of the show, her name's Rowan Blanchard, Blanchard, I'm sorry, um, had, had, had addressed the, uh, the issue of white uh, feminism. And talked a lot about how, as feminists today, you know, it's not just about women's rights. And in our dialogue, we need to include trans people. We need to include other people of oppression. She's 13 years old. <laughs> oh, I don't like when younger people are cooler than me. I know. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if a 13-year-old got this, I mean, what is wrong? Wait, I mean, oh, gosh, I don't know. Anyway, she's special. All right, let's get our program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Our next guest is Lynn Jassim. She's a comedian, a tap dancer, a uh, singer, a, 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 yes, a comedian, everything, a performer, all. a performer, <laughs> right. She's got a show that's uh, coming out right here in San Francisco, and uh, it's titled From Como to Homo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, you know, the title just got me. It just rocked me. And I was just, yeah. it, and it's interesting because when I think of homo, you know, a lot of people in the media refer to homos or homosexuals as gay men. And, and and then it, it, it you know, I found out it, it actually uh, refers to this woman who identifies uh, as the uh, the person from Como to Homo, so so from Como to Homo, it's a it's about a, a, your ten year old self who juggles your career on the Perry Como show, and uh, and then you know go through kind of your identity and, and finding yourself. Um, 
Let's start with the, the Como part. And this is going to show my age, the Perry Como show. Do you remember? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about the Perry Como Only show and your time on that. people who are 60 and over are allowed in this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I want to say Como to lesbian doesn't have the same ring to it. Mm-hmm. I was forced to put homo in there. Mm. I mean, that works. But um, yes, is a, a, actually, I started in show business even before 10. My mother was a rocket, and she had a very brief career as a rocket, but it, it dominated her entire life until she died at 94. Hmm. And when I would go visit her in Florida, where every, all the old people from New York go, um, she would always say, teach me a step. <laughs> and I would teach her something simple, knowing she's 94. Mm-hmm. Now give me a harder step. <laughs> you know, so she, she was a, a force to be reckoned with. And she had actually taken my brothers to tap dance school, and they would hide their tap shoes so no one would ever know that they were tap dancing. And then, so that obviously didn't work out. But once she got a hold of me, that was it. <laughs> but the problem is... I wanted to be Gene Kelly. I mean, Fred Astaire was a little too feminine. Gene Kelly was a guy I wanted to be. But um, what was it? His hair, his flair? Oh, he was very butch. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was always in that demi-plie with his hands up and his white teeth showing. And, um, and Fred Astaire was, you know, they mm-hmm. said that Ginger Rogers gave Fred Astaire sex appeal. <laughs> so he needed to get it from somewhere. But um, so my mother took me to tap dancing school, and it was, it was actually voice, personality, and tap dancing. And then there was some ballet thrown in. And there was um, 10 little girls who were on the Perry Como show. And after a couple of weeks, they were fired because, um, because actually – the mothers kept sending in letters and calling and disturbing everybody because the mothers, stage mothers are a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, they fired most of those kids and they were going to have six comoets and they had an audition and I got in. And I was about four years older than the other kids and three inches taller. I was the tall, skinny one. Ooh. Yes, that's the only time that ever happened to me in life. <laughs> wow so um it was extremely thrilling it was live tv back then you i think you had four tv channels at most right right yeah pre-cable i I was just going to ask i mean what was showbiz like you know that i guess those years um and then you as a child it must have uh formed oh so much of your young age and probably some people in your life who were not your parents, you know, probably became your parents. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I joined um, AFTRA, which is American Federation of Television Radio Artists, at 10. It cost $15 back then to wow. join. And we were all treated as professionals, they didn't say, you know, oh, we can't, you know, like the older dancers would go out and buy jelly apples, and they would never think of getting us a jelly apple because we were little kids, mm-hmm. you know, because we were getting a salary. I was making a lot of money, and 
we were pros. So we had to act that way. And it was very much that way, you know, business. Mm -hmm. But um, live TV, you could not make a mistake. You couldn't edit. It was it was very much a thrill. The red light came on. Boom. That was it. You went for it. And Perry Como was the number one show in the country. Mm -hmm. So I think it was um, uh, there was I can't think of his name. Perry Mason. Right. Started to creep up in the in the records and um that sort of eased Perry to the second place. But every week I met incredible people that some of whom you probably never heard of. <laughs> like <laughs> again, I'm gonna show my age. You're probably right. You yeah. Know? Uh, but um, but this is this is this is great because it's uh I love sharing. You're gonna, you know, tell us some great stories. Um and a lot of it, you know, is of interest to the queer community, um, yeah. uh, you know, I, and my next question was going to be about if if you had noticed, you know, any of uh, queer tendencies around you at that age at all. I was totally involved in myself, <laughs> <laughs> as any good artist will be. <laughs> right, right. But even some of the the names you threw out, you know, those are those are names that uh, the gay community, you know, absolutely adores um, well, and had some obsession with. There was Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and they were on the same time as Johnny Mathis. And I did think Dale Evans was a little butch. <laughs> and Roy never talked to anybody but us, the Comoets. Yeah. You know, he emptied his six shooters, gave us his, his bullets, and Dale spent all her time with Johnny Mathis. And the mothers were always going, don't you think it's interesting? Ah. Those two were always <laughs> together. And I really wasn't sure what they were talking about. I know my father was always big with the word fairy. <laughs> you know. Well, that uh, that word definitely, uh, we still recognize that word yes. in, our, in the queer community. <laughs> and we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll talk more about your brand new show in which okay. you you wrote and you're performing in it and uh, and talk more about, yeah, from Como Great. to Homo. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. 
Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7 p.m. at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco and on Sunday, August 30, 2 p.m. at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com. Streetrequiem.blogspot.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And here in studio with us, hanging out with us, is Lynn Jassim, who's a tap dancer, who's a comedian, who's a physical comedian, uh, a writer, and a performer. So I'm going to go back to that physical comedian. What does that mean? What are you, uh, how are you a physical comedian? Well, basically, I have a long history of mime. Uh huh. But mime has become a dirty word. <laughs> <laughs> so I've kind of shifted to physical comedian. But um, I do some mime in the show, accompanied by tap dancing and music and, um, strong characterization and i think it really works so um that's i love it i love it probably so what that means your new show coming up that's uh going to be here in san francisco yes. during the san francisco fringe festival um from como to homo so let's let's talk about the we just kind of went through the como part where uh you know you performed as a young girl um, and, and now to maybe the, let's switch it up to the homo part. You, so okay. you have this, uh, stage mom who used to be a raquette and she's, you know, she's fun stuff, right? <laughs> I, how did, uh, what was, what was the process like of, of coming out no, maybe to yourself first and then to your mom? Well, I think I knew something by the age of three. Wow. I had two older brothers and I liked what they had and what they did. And remember, this is the 50s. And I was confined, you know, very confined in my life. They, they gave me a doll, play with it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I didn't have to do anything but get married. Right. So um, it was very attractive to be a boy. Mm -hmm. And I found myself, oh, I always liked the girls. Right. Always. And um, in dancing school, I would find somebody I had a crush on, even on the Perry Como show. Mm -hmm. I had a little crush on one of the girls. and um, But I was in show business, so I, I had to be very girly. I, what I thought was girly. But they always called me a tomboy, and I didn't understand why. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, hey, I got the, the little banana curls and the ribbons. and What do you mean I'm a tomboy? But um, it took me a while to come. I didn't come out, actually, till I was 23. Well, from three to twenty-three, so so for a lot of years, for a twenty lot of years. twenty years, you kind of went through a. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I don't know if confused is the right word, but definitely uh, and you know exploration or or, or at exactly. least hiding. Yes. stuff, Right. Yes. I mean, it was not a, a time when one could feel at all comfortable 
I, transgender, I, that didn't even exist. I mean, no one knew what that was. I was just about to say, I mean, I uh, knew as young as three, um, you know, identified more with the boys. It almost sounds like you know, what we're hearing today in a lot of stories of trans people. So yes. um, I'm curious to know today, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot more education out there. How do you identify today? Um, I have always thought of myself as butch. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people argue about that with me. I, yeah, I don't look butch. <laughs> I was just gonna say you—you you still look like you're in showbiz in the fifties. I'm in show business, kid. <laughs> hey, and when I moved to San Francisco in 1990, the whole butch world came down on me. Yeah, they're like, where's your armpit hair? Yeah, and and how <laughs> you know? But I, I so I had very short hair. I did the thing. I had the suits. Uh-huh. I did the whole thing. Finally met my future wife. Aww. And um, then we had to leave. We left because she's a, a British doctor and she had wanted to get her American medical license. So we had to go to Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> oh, the, the armpit, really. And I let, started letting my hair grow. Mm. It was an opportunity to, to see what, what else is going on with me instead of being in this rigid kind of... Rocks. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to see what else. But I still think I'm butch, but people laugh even harder now. Um, so it's okay. I think I'm butch, and uh, my girlfriend doesn't think so at all, <laughs> even though I may look like it. Yeah. So I just call myself a bottom butch. Oh, that's good. You could be a bottom butch too. No. No. <laughs> I want to be a top butch. You're a top but tap dancing butch. I am a tap dancing butch. But and. <laughs> And in the show, I do actually come to discover what I am keeping a secret inside of me. Can you tell us the secret? That I was really a boy. Oh. My, my alter ego, Billy. Billy. Who I discovered when I was very, very young. And I, I did a show about Billy a long time ago and how Billy, like, came into being. So now... Um, I, I'm told by my ballet teacher that I have to search deep down inside of myself to find the true artist I am. And when I do the search, what I find is very frightening and very disconcerting because I'm in show business. Mm-hmm. And it would really hamper my career. So, But I go into the mirror and I confront myself and there he is. And he's damn good looking. Wait, so is what you see, um, you know, the reflection in the mirror, uh, Billy? And I see Billy. You see Billy. So in, in the show itself, is this being played by somebody, your reflection? Me. It is you. Oh, yes. It, I mean, I, it's a solo show. Whoa. But I act out the whole thing of seeing him and being very taken by what he looks like. And I, I talk about it as it's happening, and I do the mime. Oh, so, so do you actually, uh, when you recognize Billy or do you look like Billy oh yeah physically I change wow I change into a guy kind of a tough guy you know I smoke a cigar Ah. I put a little some stuff down everything is perfect and then I realize there's nothing you know no bulge down there Hmm. (laughs) you need more towels or what (laughs) I pull off my sock and throw it down my pants and you know I'm all set to go and I'm at my apex when I hear my mother going Lenny what are you doing in there (gasps) so I have to quickly shift back into myself and um, wow 
This show sounds so, so good and so fascinating. I I can't wait to see it, which if you're here in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's only four performances starting Saturday, September 12th, and then runs through Sunday and then the following weekend, Saturday and uh, uh, September 19th, and then Friday, September 25th. And I know that sounded really confusing the way I said that, so we'll <laughs> post it up um, at our website. But you can also go to sffringe.org to find out more information about Lynn's new show from Como to Homo, which sounds so good, even if I didn't grow up, you know, in the 50s and the 60s. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of art there that we can appreciate. And then the whole gender identity thing and how it's changed over time in, in, in how we identify. I, I wonder um, kind of what your thoughts are about, you know, the, the identities. I talked to someone last night who identifies as butch lesbian, and she feels like the butch identity is just really, you know, it's 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 watering down. It's... Uh, eradicating it's you know lots of them are more androgynous now and skinnier <laughs> i th- i think the ho- the whole tr- and skinnier yeah. <laughs> that was also a problem for me. <laughs> they seem to be starving now today <laughs> I, I was always skinny it was a bad thing <laughs> but um the the, the transgender community mm-hmm. <clears throat> i started to notice that the women i was interested in was suddenly going out with all the trans men Oh. And I got mad about that uh-huh. because it was like the butch lesbians were no longer as valid. You know, you they wanted a trans man. And, you know, maybe if I was 20 years old, I would think about that. Right. Um, that could have its appeal. But I've spent too long learning how to live in this body. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I get. Yeah. Well, you know, I know a 60, 70 year old uh uh, who has transitioned? Oh, really? In, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it, it's not easy. Yeah, I'm sure. But it's been done. Well, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner. I don't know yes. how old Caitlyn Jenner is, yes. but I don't think she's sixty something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it could happen if you wanted to, Lynn. But but I also think that the the spectrum of kind of how we identify the gender spectrum. Some of us are you know okay and following somewhere in between. And yes. and maybe that's you. Yeah, and, I think and, that is me. And I love that you're continuing to do that through your art. Actually, th- in this particular show, I always was primarily a dancer mm-hmm. and um, jazz ballet, but my love was for tap. And in the other shows I, I did, which I toured in Europe and different places, there was a, an abundance of dancing. But now this this is the spoken word. There's tap that se- separates each section of the show. Mm-hmm. But I really tell a lot of my story from 10 to about 18. Wow. And then I'll have to have a sequel. I think <laughs> so. That would be super, super cool. So I, I wanted to ask this, and we I haven't asked it yet, um, but the, uh, you know, going through gender confusion, and as it says here in the description of the show, you're juggling your career, but your mom, I mean, your your mom oh. being the stage mom, I, I mean, how did she take, yeah, your your identity? I think until I came out, she thought it was all very cute, oh. very cute, and sort of encouraged it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I used to come home and I'd put on a necktie, oops, sorry, That's put it. on a necktie, uh-huh. my hat. I go out, I was about 11 years old, and finally a bunch of kids beat me up. You know, they said, this isn't Halloween, and they beat me up, and, oh. and so I didn't do that anymore. Right. But in the backyard, I was safe. 
Mm-hmm. And my mother, I think the first time she truly accepted my lesbianism is when I married a doctor. The female British doctor. Yes. Yes. Who is not Jewish, but it's okay because she's a doctor. She's a doctor. <laughs> I feel like my that's like my mom. There's like one girlfriend in which she was super proud of, and that was because she was so accomplished. And everyone else, she's just like, I wish you were not gay. And I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Grow your hair out. You look cuter with long hair. Um, this is a, you know, again, I'm, I'm super excited about your show from Como to Homo. And in, I, I think I asked you already, but, uh, you know, you went from kind of identifying as trans at one point and then, you know, butch lesbian at some point, but the Homo part. Would yes. you would do you embrace that word homo? No, I think of myself as a lesbian. I uh, you know, uh, the homo was strictly because it worked with Como. <laughs> it's showbiz, baby. It's showbiz. You're allowed a little license here. <laughs> um, we're winding down on time, but I, I do want to throw in, you know, the conversation. You mentioned your wife. Yes. Uh, right? So how are you guys doing? How do you how, do you love the world that we're living in now? We've got marriage equality with so it's much wonderful. progress. Has Absolutely been made. wonderful. And the fact that she's British. Uh-huh. She lived here with me. For 10 years, and we kept looking for some way to get her a green card. Right. You know, and finally with, you know, the federal laws, and we went and we got her a green card. She's no longer an alien. No, just to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they used to call that uh, immigrants. They used to call them aliens. Yes. Isn't that weird? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My mom immigrated here and she had her card and it said alien. And I was like, my mom was an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Extraterrestrial. (laughs) How my, how the times have changed. I know. It's amazing. And to watch the, the progression is just because you're, you know, as you get older and things are changing, you're left with some residue feelings of the early days, and um, I don't know what it would have been like if, in the early days, I could have just openly been a lesbian, you know, right. when I was in show business and all of that. Right. So my last question to you, you know, this show is here in San Francisco. Yes. Um, you've lived here. San Francisco has changed even in the last yes. five years. Yes. What are your feelings about the and I've new been away. change San Francisco? I've been away for three years. And, um, you know, I like it when it was Victorians. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have, I know that the Silicon Valley helps keep San Francisco afloat financially. But it's so expensive. The real estate is in over the top so a select group of people get to live here and empty out the mission because that's the hottest neighborhood mm-hmm. and um it, it kind of breaks my heart it's the hottest and also the dirtiest i guess these yeah. type people don't want to clean up their streets no i've seen garbage <laughs> and i think you know i saw somebody on the way here throw something out of their car uh, isn't that horrible yeah but see i appreciate artists like you who keep coming back to san francisco and do shows like this because it keeps san francisco san francisco so yes. i will see you at, you know your show and i'm going to throw i'm going to throw my sports bra at you 
Oh, goody. <laughs> Please do. Because I'm a butch. I'm going to wear a sports bra that night. Come see Lynn Jassim. She wrote and performed her show. I mean, wow, what an amazing, and amazing woman. And the show is From Como to Homo, Juggling a Stage Mom, Gender Confusion, and Tap. It's directed by Peter Michael Marino, and it's a limited engagement during the San Francisco Fringe Festival, so you want to make sure you go check it out. There's only four performances, starting with September 12th, that's Saturday, at 2.30, and then September 13th on a Sunday at 7.30, September 19th on a Saturday at 1 o'clock, and then Friday, September 25th at 9, at 9 o'clock. So hit up sffringe.org for more information, and if you're not in the San Francisco area, well, you can Google her and contact her and find out. Or, hey, why don't you hit up her publicist, Lawrence Hellman, <laughs> and ask him, you know, Please if there's going to be work. some other shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make her tour the entire country. This is so cool. Hey, Lynn, thank you so much for, oh, for taking the time pleasure. to be with us today. Thank you. The Michelle Meow Show continues, and we're going to continue with art, but art with blood. So you don't want to go away. You don't want to miss it. The Michelle Meow Show will be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this hump day. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. So for those who don't know, uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, has a policy regarding blood donation. And from what I understand, gay men or men who have sex with men are banned from giving blood. Uh, There may have been some policy changes, but I'm not aware of them. Our next guest, though, has an uh, interesting way of making a statement about the anti-gay uh, stigma and the uh, policy regarding blood donation. And if I'm reading it right, it, he assembled a group of nine queer men to tell a story in his project titled Blood Mirror. So I believe he used the blood of these men that were donated to uh, construct an art installation. So let's welcome Jordan Eagles to the program. Jordan, welcome. 
Hello, thank you for having me on. So I opened up with, you know, the uh, policy there. There had been a policy for a long time that banned uh, men who had sex with men um, uh, from donating blood. Is that still the case? That is still the current policy. If you've ever had sex with a man uh, since 1977, even once, you're permanently uh, prohibited from donating blood. The FDA recently um, has put forth recommendations to change the policy in which gay and bisexual men could give blood if they're celibate for one year. Um, you know, obviously, as uh, people in the queer community and members of the queer community, we see this as uh, discrimination. It's anti-gay in a lot of ways. It, it, it suggests that, uh, you know, gay men are are not okay. Um, so I'm, I'm, I want to kind of introduce here your your project blood mirror as was i right you you actually use uh, people's blood in your art installation yes um we were able to put together a group of really outstanding men um all with very unique stories and backgrounds to help shed light on some of the nuances within the policy um and each of these men donated their blood to the project in most cases uh, they donated a full pint, which is what is generally given for a blood donation. Um, and then all of that blood was fully preserved and encased inside of a sculpture uh, called Blood Mirror, uh, which becomes an artwork in which the viewer can literally see themselves reflected through the blood of their brothers, as well as archiving the blood of these men as a form of peaceful protest wow, and to raise awareness about the issue. Wow. Wow. That is, that is really fascinating and really taking it to an incredible level. Let's talk about the nine men who donated their sure. blood for this project. Um, uh, you can start off with, with any one of them, but uh, let's get to know them. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, well, Dr. Larry Mass, who is one of the co-founders of Gay Men's Health Crisis, uh, he donated his blood for the project, and that was really meaningful in the sense that, you know, Larry is an old-school AIDS warrior. He was at the fight at the very beginning of the epidemic, and in fact was one of the first writers to ever write about HIV and AIDS when it was unfolding. So having him and his involvement um, really anchored the project with a sense of history. Um, and then because Larry's involvement... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Kelsey Louie, who is the current uh, CEO of Gay Men's Health Crisis, was, um, became involved, and he donated his blood to the project. So it really sort of spanned this timeline from where we were in the AIDS epidemic in 1983 uh, to well, about 1983 was when the, ban, the blood ban also went into place to where we are now. And obviously in that time so much has actually changed, mm-hmm. and yet this policy has not. Uh, so that was, in terms of like thinking about it from a time capsule standpoint, having both of those men involved uh, meant a lot. Um, Howard Grossman is the medical supervisor on the project. Um, he is a, he's a doctor who also then donated blood to the project. So he has two purposes in, the, in this project. And um, Howard's been fighting for LGBT health for 35 years, and he's incredible. Uh, and obviously we wanted to make sure that all the blood donations were done safely under the guidance of a doctor. Um, and Howard was, was the guy. Um, 
someone that I find to be really interesting in the project is Ty Sika, because he is an identical twin. And his brother is straight and he is gay. So under, you know, basically they have the identical, they have identical blood. Right. But Ty, Ty cannot donate blood and his brother can. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's so much meaning into, of course, you know, for a project like this, there, that's what it's all about. Um, but even those who donated blood have such close ties in the meaning of, of this project in itself. You mentioned there was a couple uh, gentlemen who had donated blood and uh, the AIDS epidemic and how that pl- plays into the ban in the first place. Um, you, I mean, you're right. You know, a lot of time is a lot of time has passed, and we've made a lot of progress. Um, and we need to break this stigma. Why do you think the FDA is so slow to understand the progress that we've made? You know, I have a feeling there's a lot of fear that goes into the decision making. I assume that people don't want to be held responsible. God forbid something were to happen and then there's egg on people's faces and, you know, people are caught um, pointing fingers to blame. But, you know, at the end of the day, this policy is not rooted in science and it's only causing more stigma, which you know, I've learned through these wonderful donors and what they have to say, what they've taught me about it is that this stigma perpetuates misinformation and that misinformation then causes um, the wrong kinds of behavior, which actually then continues the spread of HIV. So what sounds like a way to protect the blood supply is actually doing the reverse in terms of um, HIV, HIV prevention. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's also just a great deal of homophobia. I mean, gays have a reputation right. of just being slutty whores, and that's right. a stigma. Right, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the <laughs> just the because this policy exists, it you know, people are going to continue to think that of gay men. So with an installation like yours, an art project like yours, uh, Blood Mirror, um, I, I, it's got to, it, you know, have prompted conversation at least. People have absolutely probably got to look at that and say, you know, let's talk about this. So what has been the response you've received, um, you know, for do, from doing this? Well, the show, the exhibition has not actually opened yet. The exhibition opens on September the 12th at American University Museum in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, in, in advance of the, uh, of the show itself, um, I've, first of all, part of the project is a, is a larger collaborative effort with a few other artists. Um, one of them, who is a San Francisco guy named Leo Herrera, you, you might know yeah. of his work. He's does fabulous pieces. He is a major collaborator on this project. And so he um, videotapes all the interviews and the blood donations with with each of the nine men. And Mm -hmm. what we ended up doing was uh, releasing a six-minute version of that footage uh, a few days before World Blood Donors Day back in June. June 14th is World Blood Donors Day every year. Um, and so on June 11th, the, a video was released online. And so that prompted some conversation around the issue because simultaneously the FDA's 60-day public comment period was in effect, which ended July 14th, in which they were taking public comments based on the proposed one-year celibacy plan. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this project has lived uh, in the internet for a little while, um, and now we'll have a you know sort of a, its real life exhibition come in, uh, coming in September twelfth. That's so awesome, uh, and uh, we'll obviously post that information up for our listeners, especially those who are in the D.C. area who can go. Um, you know, <laughs> how are how are you preserving the 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 art piece? Uh, where are you keeping it? You know, is it sitting in your garage or is it actually you know somewhere safe before people well, actually, get to see it? It's 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 fully installed at the museum. I was okay. in Washington last week and install the exhibition so we're ready to go given that Labor Day weekend was coming and the show opened the week after it was just safer better just to get it ready to go so we're, we're ready to go in Washington I really am looking forward to you know hopefully engaging you know a, a conversation about this that can be productive both for our, our community and then also for those who have no idea that this is this is even in existence this band so many people just don't know right Right, exactly. Um, I mean, you've already gotten, you know, a lot of press. That's how we found out about your art. And I just thought it was, it was so, just like the article said, it was so bold. Uh, there's no way, you know, around it uh, at the same time. I mean, I, I, as an artist, uh, congratulations on that and kind of fulfilling that that piece. So I'm, I'm wondering, even for people who haven't seen it in person and have been reading your articles, I'm sure you've, you've received some responses from, from readers. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of really great response from a, a lot of different people. You know, a lot of gays have, you know, reached out to me and shared me, with me their stories about being banned from donating blood or the first time that they tried to give blood and then realized they couldn't. I've also um, met a lot of people who are heterosexual who say, I, you know, I just didn't even know about this, and this has to change. So, and I've also received some hate mail. You know, that didn't I wasn't even expecting that, but you know that happens too. So, you know, the idea here is to at least have a conversation. Like, I'm not a policy person. I don't know what the correct answer is to keep the blood supply safe, which is obviously very important, but it's also you know, the Williams Institute did a study last year saying that if the ban was completely lifted, one million lives could be saved every year. Oh, That's yeah. an extraordinary amount of lives that could be saved. And in a day and age where um, gays, are, gays are coming to this basically saying, we're coming in peace. You know, we're here to help, help. Right. <laughs> and we're being turned away. So it's a strange policy it is and and, you know for the not just for being able to save lives i mean in looking at it from an umbrella perspective uh, you know that we have to continue fighting against discrimination of of our community and so long as i was saying earlier this policy is in place people will look at that ban and automatically you know put gay men into that box of being sick um don't you agree oh i totally agree and i think that what's you know, what I find artistically interesting about this issue is it, it like peels away like an onion. As soon as you start to take one layer off, there's another layer. I mean, just for example, one of the donors in the project is a gentleman named Reverend John Moody, who is an 88-year-old openly gay priest from Trinity Church, Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And, you know, blood is a spiritual, has spiritual connections. People have been relating blood to religion for hundreds and thousands of years and people have a deep connection to this material that goes beyond science so 
you know, we're dealing with something that is very nuanced, which, un, you know, re, you know, there's a lot of subjects that can come out of this one particular policy, and, re, you know, religion, spirituality is one of them. I mean, war and pain and um, violence is, a, is another. I mean, we have a gentleman in the project named Captain Anthony Woods, who was in the military, was discharged for Don't Ask, Don't Tell after leading two different um, terms, taking 70 men to Iraq, bringing them all back safely. But he points out in the video, you know, he can shed his blood on the battlefield, but he can't donate blood to save lives. And he's married on top of it. Right. So, you know, we there's a lot of different ways to approach this subject. And I think different, you know, these men, their voices and their life story really helps to humanize not only the blood in the project, but that blood is personal and blood is, blood is personal to all of us. We all have it in our bodies. It runs to everyone on planet earth. And that's why we have a guy, a gentleman in the project named Oliver, who is, um, was born in Nigeria and in his mid twenties started an LGBT um, organization in Nigeria for gay men's health. And then because in Nigeria, you get beaten up or, you know, imprisoned for being gay. He's now living in the U.S. as an asylee. But it really helped his contribution to the project, helped to, you know, recognize that homophobia runs around the world, obviously. And, you know, the struggle for HIV and AIDS is even worse in other parts of the world. So that a policy that happens here in America, um, the ripple effect is global. Yeah. And, and I have to say, Jordan, you know, your art installation and kind of pulling all these stories together, it's personal. There are ways our community has approached uh, discrimination in our community being one, you know, protesting or doing interviews and doing all this stuff. You've been able to kind of put this all together in art form, uh, your art installation, Blood Mirror. And so I, I just think it is so incredible because it's saying so much without saying anything at all. So congratulations on that. And uh, it's so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about exhibitions or to see the videos or photos of Jordan's work, you can head to jordaneagles.com. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues. Jax and I will conclude the program, and I wonder what her thoughts are about spreading blood on a piece of art to get the statement out there. Don't go away. For listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW.
The inspirational Street Requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7pm at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco and on Sunday, August 30, 2pm at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com streetrequiem.blogspot.com Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here in our program, our hump day program, Wednesday, August 20... <laughs> August 26th. You know, I have, an, I have an iPhone that would tell me these things. You guys, I, sh- I should stop even trying to give you the dates. I should just, you know, thanks for tuning in today. <laughs> I'm going to get you a paper calendar to carry around, a big one. <laughs> I know, I can't get it together to like... Even open up my phone to figure out, you know, what day it is today. I'm so glad we are getting over this hump day, though, because, you know, we're nearing the end of the program, which means for some of you, you've already left the office and you're enjoying dinner. And then uh, for some of us, you're just uh, getting off work um, out here in the West Coast or or maybe you're still working. Maybe some of us don't work the, the nine to five. I don't think anybody does anymore. Nine to five? Eight to five? Eight to five, maybe? <laughs> It's been that long since um, I've had to, you know, full-time job. Although I feel like I have more than a full-time job. I, like, juggle so much. It's weird when you don't have the set hours. Yeah. Because it's like, when does it end and when, or is it constantly working? Yeah. You know, I'm glad we focused our show today on art. Um, it's it's a, it's definitely a form of of, you know, protest. We could use it in so many ways. And the thing is, it's also timeless. Like, you know, Lynn... You know, who starred in a show, I, I, you know, I don't know who Perry Como is. I'm sorry. Do you? No. I don't. I mean, I know, I recognize the name. I know it's some old timey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to go there. But, you know, being able to connect with her and just kind of her experiences. And here she is. She's performing, you know, uh, years later and putting her life together. And I just really urge people out there to find time to go and appreciate art and when I was much younger I never understood the people who stood in front of a painting for like hours and hours and 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 talked about you know what how what the meaning of the painting was to them but now I feel like I can do that (laughs) I remember when I first went over to my now girlfriend's house she had some art in her room and mine was with my other friend I was like oh no like I I can't talk art like I didn't I never like went to art galleries and now I do and I really like it but good it's intimidating it it is it is I mean they they're they're pretty deep people who are really into that stuff but but man like an artist like Jordan Eagles um they I just think wow it's like you really have to be someone special to think outside, you know, the box in that way and then creatively come up with something that's going to make a statement 
that, you know, will be internationally recognized. And people are going to be like, this dude put blood, you know, on a on an installation in order to make a point. It's pretty bull. I think, yeah, the best art that makes you really think is slightly provocative, if that's the right, right word. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I thought of, of, of using that description while chatting with Jordan, but um, I didn't want to take away from, you know, the deeper meaning of, of his art. Because I, I don't know why, to me, provocative suggests sex. and Not provocative, I mean, provocative that can make you think like some old Stepford wife that's like, oh, oh yeah. that's so offensive. But right. I meant it more as like it just provokes a reaction and yes. provokes a thought process yes. and a kind of a self-reflection. Yeah, it was wonderful. So again, make sure you check it out. If you're in the D.C. area, that's uh, where he's he's going to host an exhibition at a museum. So for more information on that, head to jordaneagles.com. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow and uh, at 4 o'clock at the same time, we'll have an interview for you. More art because uh, we really love art. Artists, artists people are so smart, too, you know? I, I know. <laughs> Us talkers, gabbers, what do we know? We just learn from them every day. I get to go home from work and be like, so, you know, Jordan Eagles is an artist, and <laughs> I get to speak intelligently like yeah, I knew him all my life. Use them to make yourself, yeah, I do like, the same thing. I'm like, well, today on the show, we had a... <laughs> They're like, oh, so you figured that out. So you Googled someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, last night, so I was finally done with work at like 8 o'clock. And in order to find some time for myself to, to kind of, I guess, you know, have time for me, I found myself at a driving range. <laughs> hitting golf time? balls. Yeah, with a bunch of older guys. And I like it. <laughs> um, here's the thing, though. So I'm sure of it by now. People across the country have heard about the uh, a group of black women in a book club who were kicked off of a train, the Napa Valley Wine Train, for uh, what the the women had said, uh, you know, for laughing too loud or, or something. So this group was found disruptive to other people on the train, and so they ended up kicking them off. I mean, I feel very strongly about this situation. I obviously feel. Like they were kicked off the train because they were black. Um, anyway, the the wine train company, after the story's gone viral, has given them you know full uh, uh, an apology, refunded them. You know the story's out there; you can search for it. But I bring it up because last night at the the golf range, the driving range, the 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 guy gave me and my friend a beer. Who's you know another butch lesbian, you know hitting some balls, <laughs> and <laughs> it was like range. we're closing. You need to go enjoy your beer outside. And so we start walking outside and we're like, wait a second, no one else is going outside. So in light of what had just happened at the Napa Valley wine train you know, situation, I go up to the owner and I'm like, uh, we're the only ones being asked to go outside with keg cups of beer. And I don't see anybody else. I don't see anybody else. Do you know about the Napa Valley wine train situation? <laughs> Did you bring it up? <laughs> he was like, oh my God, oh my God. No, 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 no. Everybody else is getting a keg cup. You guys just got yours and, you know, your beer first. So just putting it out there, you know, it's a powerful situation um, in that, yes, there are ways in which we're all still being discriminated against either by, you know, cake companies or cookie companies for your wedding or flowers, flower companies. But I think the best thing to do 
is to address it immediately. Head on. Head on. (laughs) Through words or art or protests. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoying our program. You can find everything else at michellemeow.com. We will will talk to you tomorrow at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time right here on the Progressive Voices Network.